Good evening and thank you so much for joining us. You're watching the nine at night. I'm Stefania Jimenez and tonight we begin with a student under arrest for bringing a gun to school. This happened at Churchill High School in the Northeast Independent School District. Now to be clear, there was no shooting. No one was hurt. The Churchill High principal sent parents a letter saying the student told school leaders that he was holding the gun for someone else. Police arrested that student and that student is now facing charges. Now this was discovered after another student told a teacher that the student in question may have brought a gun to campus. And since this happened, school staff are urging parents to tell their kids if you see something, say something. After nearly 50 hours, one of the parents protesting outside of the Uvalde CISD administration office spoke with the superintendent and that meeting between Brett Cross and Hal Harrell was broadcast on social media. In that video, Cross asks Harrell why the officers who were inside Robb Elementary the day of the shooting haven't yet been suspended. Just like the city, just like the sheriff's office, I need those officers. You need five officers, right? You got employed? We got we got five employed. Mm -hmm. You need five officers. DPS can't fill in for five officers. Well, my understanding is the work that the campus officers do is different than what DPS is willing to do at this point. UCISD released that statement that you see on your screen saying that it's engaged with the Texas Police Chiefs Association to conduct a management and organizational review of the Uvalde CISD Police Department. Now, the families of three children who survived that shooting at Robb Elementary filed the first lawsuit in federal court against the Uvalde School District, law enforcement officials, and gun makers. They say that negligence contributed to the massacre. That suit was filed today in Texas's Western District Court, and according to lawyers, one of the children in the lawsuit was wounded in the shooting and was best friends with one of the students who was killed. In all, the suit names 10 defendants, including the city of Uvalde and the since-fired school district police chief, Pete Arredondo. Two key witnesses in a murder trial are telling jurors a very different story from what they originally told detectives. The defendant in this case is Jaron Garcia. He's on trial for shooting his stepfather, Mark Ramos, last year. The jury here has to decide whether he did it in self-defense. That's the question. Today, Garcia's teen brother and mother took the stand. The brother admitted that he lied to detectives the night of the shooting. And the mother, Bertha Garcia, said things today that she didn't include in her initial statement to police. I forgot some things. I didn't leave them. I just forgot. Like, there's, it happened so fastly. Like, I didn't say everything, like, that I could say. And jurors in this case are expected to deliberate tomorrow. In 2014, the Rio Grande Valley became ground zero for border apprehensions after it saw an uptick in unaccompanied children and families. And this led to the establishment of one of the main shelters and aid centers for migrants. It's called the Catholic Charities RGV Humanitarian Respite Center. That facility is the point of contact for migrants once they're released from detention centers. And the goal for the center is to welcome, inform, and also protect the rights of those migrants. It's also always important for all of us to, to find ways to protect the innocent, the vulnerable, the, those that are, are exposed to the dangers of, uh, of someone who uh, has no respect to human life. So that was Sister Norma Pimentel, and she says that that center helps hundreds of migrants every single day. 
You know, the border is going to be one of the key topics brought up during tomorrow's gubernatorial debate. Governor Greg Abbott and his Democratic opponent, Beto O'Rourke, are facing off at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley in Edinburgh. And Abbott's campaign says this is going to be his only debate before Election Day. Our very own Steve Spreeser is going to be one of the moderators at that debate. And it's going to be broadcast on KSAT, starts at 7, and it's also going to be live streamed on KSAT.com. And myself and Myra Arthur are going to hold a debate watch party, which starts at 6.50. By the way, Election Day is November 8th. Now, the deadline to register to vote is October 11th. And, you know, this election year is an important one. In addition to the governor's race, voters are also going to elect Bear County's first new county judge in 20 years. Also, all 435 seats in the House of Representatives are up, and also a third of Senate seats are up for grabs. We have all the information that you need to know on KSAT.com. Okay, now we're going to take things outside. Here's meteorologist Adam Kasky with a look at your Friday forecast. More of the same tomorrow. A beautiful, comfortable start to the day. Kind of feeling like fall around sunrise. Upper 50s right near 60 degrees, but then we quickly warm up to 75 at 10 a.m. So from 7 to 10 a.m., we jump a good 15 degrees. By noon, we're 85 and then four or five o'clock right near 90. But I think most of us in the upper 80s tomorrow afternoon. Similar story on Saturday, Sunday, some minor fluctuations. And then even into early part of next week, not really noticeable changes, just a few degrees different. By Monday morning of 60 and by the afternoon 86. Also a little variety to the sky. Finally, some clouds coming in off the Pacific by Sunday and into next week. Okay, you look at that, and no matter what the weather is like here, it's still a lot better than that, which is what people in Florida are dealing with. We know so far seven people have died there as a result of Hurricane Ian, and that number is sadly expected to go up. And this is what Ian left behind. Look at that. We're talking mangled boats along the beach, wreckage scattered across the sand, winds in this storm reached up to 140 miles an hour, roofs like that came off homes. The storm also stranded families who thought they could ride it out. The Category 4 storm did what a lot of people feared, making landfall as one of the most powerful storms in the state's history. The impacts of this storm are, are historic, and the damage that was done uh, has been historic. President Biden approved Florida's emergency disaster declaration, and that's key because it's going to allow the state to get federal money to then start rebuilding. You know what? You look at that and you're thinking, what can I do? Well, here's something that you can. We're going to host another phone bank on Monday in partnership with the Red Cross to raise money for relief efforts in Florida. Phone lines are going to be open from noon to 7 p.m. Again, that's on Monday. And early that day, we're going to give you the number to call. So stay tuned for that. One of the biggest decisions that you make in life is choosing a career. And hundreds of local students got a head start with that. Workforce Solutions Career Pathway event took place today, and it was huge. We're talking 700 students who showed up this year, which is more than twice the amount of people from last year. And there were plenty of employers there to speak with them. They represented fields like healthcare, finance, construction, oil and gas. They spoke with students and gave them advice. And one of the things they told them was how important it is to set up a LinkedIn page once they're 16. It's the best way to get your uh, field of operations open and wide and that more businesses that find out about you earlier on gives you better chances to find a field that you like. 
Uh, the event aims to expose students to different opportunities and teach them how to advance their career once they get one. And by the way, the workforce can help you too. Just stop by one of their career centers. There are more than a dozen in our area. Week six marks the midpoint of the high school football season. A lot of teams are having their bye week, but tomorrow there is plenty on the line at Comalander Stadium as Brandimes faces Johnson in our game of the week. KSAT 12's Andrew Seeley previews tomorrow night's matchup. Yeah, they're a good team. Um, they got a lot of good playmakers. It'll be a good look at what the playoffs will look like. They're, they're a good team, but we're going to show them what we got and show that we're one of the best teams in San Antonio. These two programs know each other very well. Brandeis and Johnson have met 14 times since 2011, and the Broncos only edge in the regular season series 6-5. to five. But all of those meetings have been decided by an average of five points. The Jaguars won last year's meeting 28-22. This year, both teams are undefeated in district. Johnson is very well coached. Um, Coach Miller's done an outstanding job. They're explosive. They're big on the line, and they play physical football. They're going to play hard. Uh, offensively, defensively, Coach Bruce does a heck of a job over there, and um, we know that we're gonna we're in for our, our all four quarters. It all kicks off right here at Comalander Stadium. One of six games you'll be able to stream live on the BGC app on Friday night. Four of those games are district matchups with huge playoff implications, so you don't want to miss the action. For the nine, I'm Andrew Seeley. All right, good stuff. And just like that, we are out of time. The nine at nine returns tomorrow. Have an awesome night, and we'll see you then.